All right, everybody, for this episode of the Behind You podcast, we're going to do something a little bit different, but it should be just as good. We've had so many great people come on the podcast. One of them was Dan Morgan. He was just recognized at the home game against Virginia Tech for his, for his selection into the College Football Hall of Fame. The official induction will be coming up December 7th in Las Vegas. The National Football Foundation does a bunch of on-campus salutes. That's why Dan was at the game against Virginia Tech at Hard Rock Stadium. We had Dan on the podcast probably 10 months ago when he found out. At that time, he was with the Buffalo Bills. Since then, he's moved on to the Carolina Panthers. But the essence of the conversation, his time at the University of Miami, that stuff is priceless. So we figured with Dan in the news, with Dan on campus a week ago, and with Dan about to go into the College Football Hall of Fame, why not re-release this amazing podcast episode with one of the legends at the U, Dan Morgan. Another edition of the Behind the U podcast, and uh, this is a big one. This might this might set us apart from all the rest. Uh, legendary, uh, all-timer, and some big news surrounding this man as well. Dan Morgan, great to see you again, buddy, and thanks for taking the time. Good to see you, man. Thanks for having me. As we tape this, you have had an epic 48 hours. Two days ago, you were informed you were basically selected into the College Football Hall of Fame. And yesterday, as the director of player personnel for the Bills, you get your first playoff win in 25 years. That's a nice two days right there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good weekend, that's for sure. You know, I got a box on my desk on Friday. I didn't know what it was. And I opened it up, and it was a football on a ladder. And the football said, congratulations, you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. So that was pretty cool. And then, you know, big win yesterday. So uh, been a, it's been a good weekend, that's for sure. Describe the Bills Mafia. What is that all about? You know what? Like, you you don't know about it until you actually experience it. But it, it's a pretty cool group of people. Just the blue-collar town here, and they just love their Bills here. And, uh, you know, they definitely bring excitement to the game. So it was actually nice. Yesterday, it was the first time that we had them back in the stands all, all season. So it was pretty cool having them and, you know, them them guys cheering. All right. So, of course, with a, with a Hall of Famer, first-round draft pick, guy that's played in the Super Bowl, I want to start here. This is my memory of Dan Morgan. Do you remember the game that you threw up on the field right before the play? Because one <laughs> of my most vivid memories is literally like, look at that guy. I remember being in the booth with Joe and Don, and they're like, he threw up right before the play, stayed in, and made the tackle. It was a warm night, and, uh, you know, I drank a bunch of <laughs> fluids before the game. Uh, didn't want to get dehydrated. Like, I had a little bit of problems with dehydration, like, just throughout my career. So, drank a ton of water and some creatine and stuff. Lined up, you know, was running, and I think just my stomach started feeling irritated, and I was like, oh, man, I'm about to throw up. <laughs> and I actually, I actually threw up once in the huddle, Oh, really? Lewis's arm. <laughs> yeah, I threw up on D. Lou's arm. He looked at me like, what the hell? What the hell are you doing, man? You all right? So then I'd call the play. I line up in my stance, and I felt it coming again. I was like, oh, no, here it comes. Literally threw up right before the play. The ball got snapped. I went, made the tackle, and it was a, it was a uh, funny memory. All right, let's get to the good stuff. Now I, want, now, I know you are as humble as they come, but I need you to, to pick one of these, okay? okay? I need you to pick. I'm not going to let you off the hook. 500-plus right. tackles in your career, the first sophomore captain in team history. You won the Buckus, Bednarik, and Nagurski in the same year. 100 tackles every year, three-time All-Big East. 
I think you're the only three-time captain at the U, and you made at least 42 straight starts. Which one are you most proud of? The captain, and that's honest to God truth. To be elected the captain and, you know, the ele being elected down there, the teammates vote on that. So it's not like the coach is picking you or, or anything like that. So to have your teammates pick you three years in a row, you know, just leadership-wise, I was always proud of that. And especially with that group of guys, there's so many worthy candidates and for them to pick me three years in a row, it was definitely a cool honor. You will not brag about yourself, but that is a stellar resume. You should have been like, I know in the baseball hall of fame, I think it's like unanimous voting. So I, I don't know okay. how they keep track of that in the college football hall of fame, but I'm just going to say you should have been unanimous based on that resume, but is your Buckus, Bednarik and Nagurski with you in Buffalo? Uh, yeah, it is actually, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, this Christmas, my parents actually came up here and I left those three trophies at their house for the longest time. And, you know, I don't, I don't need them here. I'm not going to go look at them every day. That's such uh, a Dan Morgan thing to say right there. So, yeah, so he, he bought them up. My dad and mom, they bought them up. I didn't even know they were bringing them. And they're like, hey, you know, just for your son, it might be nice just to kind of have them in the house and for him to see them. So I actually have them at my house now for the first time ever. Nice. By the way, I just want to add to all of that stuff. I, I don't know if this record still holds, but at least at one point it did. You also set the record for tackles in a Super Bowl. Is that still yours? Yeah, I think so. The NFL had me for 18, and then our linebacker coach went and watched the film the next day, and he had me down for 25 tackles. So definitely still holds. All right. To segue off of this, just not to blow your head off the screen here, based on all of those accolades, what is the game that you win where you just stunk that you would take back, want back a game? You, not the team. Dan Morgan played a bad game, which maybe maybe that didn't even happen. You know, what's funny is like, I felt like some of my worst games were against the worst opponents. And, it, and it's not that I you know, didn't get up for it or anything like that. It just happened to work out that way for whatever reason. So I remember my senior year, like we played at Rutgers. I think I had like one tackle. Like I didn't even play that good, but they were such a bad team that it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get into the good stuff. So I didn't realize you grew up in Philly for pretty much all of your life, right? Pretty much all of your childhood until your high school years. But you said at the UM Hall of Fame induction, you were a monster UM fan regardless. How'd that come to be? So we used to vacation down in Florida every year. We took one vacation a year. My parents saved up all year for it. We're from a blue collar town right outside of Philadelphia. It's called Clifton Heights. My parents would save up all year for the one Florida vacation. And every year we went down there, dad and mom would buy me a jersey. So I just had a hurricane jersey and just became the biggest hurricane fan. I was the only one in my neighborhood. The whole neighborhood is, you know, Irish Catholic. Everybody's Notre Dame. Everybody's Penn State. And I was the one kid in the neighborhood that always had that orange Miami jersey on. Actually, it was a Bernard Clark jersey. So I was the only one in the neighborhood to, you know, to have that jersey. And I just was always a Miami fan. I was just always connected to Miami for some reason. So how come you wore 44 instead of 57? Uh, 44 was my number growing up and um, actually was a big Brian Bosworth fan. Growing oh, up. there you go. So, uh, you know, him and like Tom Rathman, like those, <laughs> are, those are such, those are such you guys. You know, it's funny, actually, uh, Tom Rathman's the running back coach for Indianapolis. So we played yesterday and I saw him on the field. I've seen him before and went up to him. I didn't go up to him yesterday. I was too nervous, you know, just with the game and stuff, but it's just, he's legendary. So it yeah. was pretty cool seeing him. So when you're growing up on the boss, did you try and get the hairstyle? I tried. Uh, my dad wasn't having that. Though. Yeah, I got you. Like, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to look like that. So you're a Miami Hurricanes fan at a time when they were like as swaggy as swaggy, right? In, in yep. an Irish Catholic neighborhood. So either 
uh, you must either you hated them or they hated you. I would I would get in fistfights with with my friends in the neighborhood, like literal fistfights. Legitimately, we'd get in fistfights about Penn State. Like that was the time where Miami Notre Dame rivalry was. Oh yeah. Time high. The Catholics first convict. I mean, legitimately, we would get in fistfights over those games. So you know, we usually got the best of them. Thank God. Now you did say it. I don't know if you'll say it here because you're in a different role, but you did say at your induction that you hate Notre Dame. If you're scouting a Notre Dame players, you just get like a just a notch grade lowered. Unfortunately, I can't do that with my <laughs> job. But uh, yeah, I want to. I definitely yeah. want to. So now, what year were you born? Uh, 78. Do you have memories of the uh, 87 Fiesta Bowl? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, that was the uh, Penn State game. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah, I was actually laying on my floor as a little kid. My big Miami fan, obviously. And that last pass, I remember laying on my floor as a little kid watching that and just slipping out like pissed. What's worse for you, that or the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State? I think uh, the Fiesta Bowl, um, that was like, what, two years after I left, I think? Yeah, the 2 season, yeah, so two yeah, years so after. Was, yeah, I think it was two years. So I was obviously still knew a lot of those guys and obviously rooting big time and just knew all those guys. So that one, I mean, that, that call is still ridiculous. What's more ridiculous, that call or you guys being left out of the 2000 championship? Uh, being left out of the 2000 championship is, that's another ridiculous thing. And I think uh, from what everybody says, uh, the way it is now, we would have played in that game. I don't know if that's accurate or, or not. But how pissed were you yeah, guys back then? I mean, I think we were just more dumbfounded that both have one loss. Our loss came early in the season. We beat Florida State. You know, we both have one loss. I mean, when does common sense come into play? Um, I think that's the biggest thing. So I still don't understand it. So what would have happened if you guys played Oklahoma? I mean, hey, you never know until you play the game, but I, I can't see anybody beating us. So I, I'd have to think that we would have had a really good shot to win that game. All right, so your family vacations every year in Florida. You're a huge Hurricanes fan, and then you actually moved to Florida. So what, what was that all about? My dad, he was a roofer in Philadelphia. He hurt his back carrying something up a ladder or something, and he got like a tiny little settlement, but to us it was big time. We just packed up a U-Haul. He wanted to get out of the cold and wanted to go into the warm and just get us in like a, you know, just a different place. It worked out good. Because I'm not sure that Miami would have came up to Upper Darby, Pennsylvania and recruited a, a kid out there. So, hey, stuff I think is just meant to be sometimes. So it was pretty cool. Did your dad work or do something with Dan Marino? Yeah, he was his, uh, I mean, you, you can call it like his bodyguard, his driver. Like my dad did pretty much everything for him from the time we moved to, to Florida, you know, all the way up until I went to the pros. So what year, you, you moved down to Florida, what year? Uh, I think it was 91. So Marino's elite, legendary GOAT status. Yeah, and by the way, I was a huge Dolphins fan too. So when my dad got that job through Don Mikowski, because my dad was rehabbing his back, and the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, Don Mikowski. Heard magic man. Yeah, the magic man. So him and my dad were rehabbing at the same place. So that's how my dad got hooked up with Marino because he heard that he was looking for a guy like my dad that just kind of looked out for him. My dad's a former Marine and all that kind of stuff. So he, you know, he's one of those guys that you definitely want on your side. So now it all makes sense about you. Roofer, Marine, bodyguard for Pops. My dad used to make me go on the roof with him before Little League games. Like I would go and I'd, I'd work on the roof with him and then I'd go play a game. I mean, it was just the way it was back then. So Dan Marino was a part of your life. I still remember when my dad got the job, Dan invited 
us over to his house and i remember sitting there as a i don't know how old was i 14 right yeah that uh 13 14 and looking across the table at dan marino like i was like are you kidding me like i'm sitting across from like my childhood hero that was always unbelievable this is gonna not date me from an age standpoint but you know look pat mahomes or aaron rod you know the, all the guys in the league now that are great and they are great. But like when you just you go back and find film of Marino or Elway or those guys, and you're like, they could play anywhere, anytime, and we're as good or better than anyone now. You know, time sometimes ages those guys and you forget about them. But I love watching when film pops up of him because you're just like, dude, he was so good. Well, think about, you know, the way the league is now. I mean, it's a passing league. And back then, it really wasn't even like it is now. Right. Like, everything's geared toward towards the offense nowadays. So I'd, I'd have to imagine that they would have, been even more. <laughs> he had 6,000 yards and 60 touchdowns from yeah. eight more season would have been a lot different. Yeah, exactly. All right. So you, yeah, I guess you, I don't know if you grew up in Coral Springs, but I know you went to Terravella, which is up in Coral Springs. So since you're a pro personnel guy, can you give me the scouting report on Dan Morgan, the high school running back? I, I definitely was more straight line, uh, <laughs> straight, straight line, physical, fast, powerful, uh, didn't have much wiggle at all. I was just looking to churn out the tough yards and beat defenses up and then break runs once I wore them down. So you were recruited to UM as a running back or you were kind of just athlete? I think I was recruited as a running back. At least they told me that. And then, <laughs> and then uh, I think to get me there and then, you know, second, third day of training camp, they moved me over to, to linebacker, which hey, I'm not complaining now. All right. So let me, let me just get this right. For a 24-hour period, you were a Georgia Tech commit? Yeah, I was. Doug Marone did a really good job recruiting me. He was a good guy and my family liked him. And George O'Leary actually came down and sat at our dinner table and like, just we're sitting there talking and out of the blue, he just put me on the spot. He's like, so can we get a commitment from you? And I'm like, uh, yeah. And I could see like both my parents looking at me like, what? So literally like they left and like, my dad, I was like, yeah, I don't want to go. My dad's like, well, you got to call him and let him know you don't want to go there. So I had to go do that. So, yeah, that was a bad decision. When you get down here, you're playing. You're a good player, obviously. You grew up a Miami fan from, from all your time coming down here and then moving down here. So was there any other consideration but Miami once they offered you? No, I literally, I, I decommitted from there and then I committed to Miami. And it was like a no-brainer. Like, I don't even know what I was thinking. So Butch takes over 95, 95, 96 aren't bad years for Miami. Was there even a recruiting pitch for you? Were you concerned about, I don't know where probation was exactly at that time. Like, was any of that a concern? No, not really. You know, they, I think they only had what, 12 scholarships that year. Your year. Uh, yeah. The year that I got recruited. He used them wisely. I'm going to go yeah, through the list did. in a second. He definitely did a good job. I mean, Butch, obviously, and his staff always recruited really well. Now that you're doing it, now that you're doing this, recruit or evaluating, let's say. So I'll use recruiting as evaluating. Right. What made him such a good evaluator, recruiter, et cetera? Butch doesn't beat around the bush. He comes into your living room. There's a presence about him. He's very believable and he's truthful. You know, I just thought that he knew how to sell the Miami program and he did a phenomenal job with it, obviously, with all the guys that he got. All right, so let's do this. Instead of me saying it, because I can do it, I want you, for everyone, to list or say the dudes that were recruited either with you in 97 or came in while you were there. Oh, I'd be, we'd be here all day. Just give me 10 off the top uh, of your head, 10 guys that either came in with you or while you were there, because the list is ridiculous. Well, who came in with me was Ed Reed, Reggie Wayne, Santana Moss, Martin Bibla, Scott Puckett, 
And then obviously, like while I was there, Shockey, Nagehi, Portis, you know, Damian Lewis was already there. Uh, Juan, Joaquin Gonzalez came in with us. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, Dorsey. Yeah, Dorsey. He was a he was a freshman. Jonathan Vilma was my backup as a true freshman. Like it's ridiculous, and it, you know, people always ask me to this day. Like people just want to know about it. Like they're like, "Geez, what was it like?" being there like with all those people but your class of 12 four of those were first you santana reggie there was one other one you said at least three first round no and ed right yep that's a pretty good ratio right that's a pretty good hit ratio right there for butch and then obviously bought in like dj williams is another guy like dj williams looked like he could have went pro right out of high school like that dude was i was like geez this guy's a True freshman? Are you kidding me? Like, did Andre Johnson come in while you were there too? Oh yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like our scout team that like we went against in practice, it was better than the teams that we played. Like Willis McGay, he was the running back. I look out wide, it's Andre Johnson, and then the offensive line was like Bryant McKinney, Vernon Carey, you know, Romberg, all these guys. You're like. You know, they were just waiting their turn. So, yeah, it was it was unreal. Who was just the freakiest athlete? Like, the guy you were like, oh, we just said DJ Williams was one, so we'll, we'll scratch him from the list. But who was the guy you were like, holy, you know what? That's a freshman yeah. or that's a college athlete? Like, I'm going up against that? At, like, everybody. Like, <laughs> um, Andre, Johnson, Andre Johnson, Edron James, Clinton Portis. I mean, all those guys just, like, so genetically gifted. You know, Brian McKee. Henny and Vernon Carey, like just enormous guys. Like, yeah, I'm not going to engage with that guy. Like I'm going to, I'm definitely going to, he's not going to touch me because if he does, he might throw me somewhere. Yeah. But your roofing skills were way better. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I knew how to, I knew, I knew how to do a little bit of that. You're not a tar roof better than they could. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if they, they were doing that. You mentioned this at the, uh, I think the hall of fame induction. And, and we talked about it just briefly before as so a running back at Terravella. I mean, I think you also played on the defense too, but kind of recruited. We think we were, we think you were recruited as a running back and you said you walked yeah. into the running back room your first day on campus and you're looking around and you're like, what am I doing? Like, how am I ever going to hit the field? Cause who was in the room? Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. They were probably laughing in the meeting rooms when they, put me in there like, huh, you know, he thinks thinks he's going to be a running back, but just give it a couple days, let him settle in, and then we'll move him over to defense. So. Who was in there with you? Um, well, Najee Davenport, he was actually in our class too. So he was in there, they recruited him, and then it was Edron James, James Jackson. I mean, just those three right there, I mean, were enough just to be like, all right, like probably going to go somewhere else eventually. What made Edron so good? Well, first of all, like, ultra competitor i think that's what made him so good and then he just had some of the best vision patience his contact balance and his strength was second to none and then like in space he could be elusive with you know he could give you a little wiggle or you know he could lower his shoulder and he could run over you so edrin he was just a complete package like literally had everything great hands three down back like literally could do it anything that you asked them to do and he was great in protection like you couldn't just come in and run through him like he was really tough dude. Any singular game you've seen better than the one he put up against UCLA? And when he got into the pros, I remember watching some of those games. Like I thought he like was playing even better when he got in, into the pros. Like he just got better and better. What was that '98 game like watching watching that display? Oh, it was it was great. I mean, he was just running through that defense like he was doing whatever he wanted to. 
they didn't have the greatest defense like no offense to them but that wasn't a very good defense but like the combination of them being not being very good and him being like an unreal back is not a good combination i think you saw what happened you said you were switched to linebacker with a few days after getting the camp. It was written that you were switched a week before the first game. So give me the lowdown of getting switched, when you were switched, how you got told you were switched, and then all of a sudden you are starting as a freshman first game? I think it might have been like the first week of, of camp. Um, I was just out of practice, and the offense had like, say, orange jerseys on. The defense had white jerseys. And I think it might have been even like mid practice that they said, hey, like we're going to switch it to linebackers. So here's a white jersey and give us your orange jersey. And I'm like, all right. Like <laughs> I was up for the challenge. Like I played linebacker before. So like it wasn't like I never did it. So I was like, all right, like here we go. So, you know, I remember being in individual drills. I, I weighed 210 pounds soaking wet. I mean, I was just, I was lean. And I was just fast. But I remember in individual drills, like just kind of hitting up against some of the linebackers that we had on our roster at the time and being like, man, they're so much heavier than I was. And they were so much bigger than I was. But I think it was not until like the third game, there was like an injury. And I went in and I played good. And just really, that's, I never looked back. So as a freshman, you're playing at 210, 220, 215. Oh, yeah. So. yeah, I mean, Probably, you know, once the season got going and I was playing like every play and in practice and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was probably like 208 pounds, 210 pounds, just running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I had like no concept of really anything. I was just instinctual. But, I, you know, I couldn't have told you like what cover two was or what cover three was. I could I was just overall at the position at the time. That off season, did you just pour into it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think even then, like, yeah, I still obviously was committed to playing linebacker, like ended up having a really good year and like having some sacks. And I think I was like second team freshman All-American and all that. So obviously I was all bought into to linebacker at that point. 6 a.m. in the building watching film with Shiano. Yeah. So we used to uh, Shiano, like I, I had some great coaches, um, obviously like Vernon Hargraves and Randy Shannon. And then when Shiano came in, I felt like he just took my game to another level, just in terms of teaching me, you know, how to read defenses, footwork of running backs, and, um, you know, just, just all different things. And I actually used to wake up super early in the morning and, um, you know, me and him would, he'd actually make me stand in front of the projector and then he'd hit play and he'd be like, okay, what run is it? Based off the footwork, I would let him know, like, this is a counter, this is a stutter, this is a power all, this is, you know, so I, by the time I got to game day, like I was already like ready to roll, like I had seen it. He just, he just did a phenomenal job with me. I still talk to him to this day. Now he was with you, what, one year or two years? I think two years. I think he was with me two years. So let me ask you this, as a guy that's been around football, you know, his whole life played, you know, what you're doing, I don't have to get into all that. I imagine if you, the way you talked about Greg Schiano, there are just guys who like see football differently. Oh yeah, it matters. You know, certain coaches definitely, you know, make an impact on certain guys. And it's just like any other relationship. Some coaches gel better with certain type of players and Schiano was good for me. He was very demanding and very just coached his butt off and like taught me so much. So definitely appreciative of, of what he showed me. 
but the other thing I wanted to, to get to about that story is getting up at 6 a.m. is that, that, that part, right? The, the desire, I don't know if, if he asked you to do it, you asked him to do it, but just that desire as a player to put in that kind of work to whether right. your self betterment, team betterment, except, I mean, that's, that's the rarity, right? I mean, maybe in the pros, you do it at your job in your career. Now you do it, but you know, you're a 19, 18 year old college student that that's not the norm, but it's also what separates right. good, the great, great to elite elite from whatever. So where did that come from? Well, you know, I think my dad instilled that in me, like basically like you got to work for, for everything that you want. And, you know, on top of that is like, there's nothing wrong with going out and having a good time. But like, I was never the one to go out and, you know, have a great time. Like I was, when you say like, I was all football all the time. And I'm, you know, somewhat like that to this day. Like, you know, when I commit to something, like I'm going to go and I'm going to give it my all. And if it takes waking up at four in the morning, five in the morning, I'm going to do that. So, you know, I think that's just kind of what, what's instilled in you at a, at a young age. Now, I don't know if this is true. I'd, I've heard this make the rounds, which would speak to what you just talked about. But I think someone had told me once that Ed Reed used to get up early as well and work out with Swayze. There was multiple guys. And I think that's what made us so good is that maybe we weren't all doing the same thing. But I tell you what, like we were all committed to a common goal and we were going to do whatever it took. You know, whether that's pushing each other, whether that's doing doing whatever, whatever you got to do to push your teammate and, and make your teammate better. Like we all did that. Like there was numerous guys on those teams that I was with that put that extra effort in. And like I said, that's, that's what makes great teams. We know Ed was a phenomenal player and leader. So what made him special? What, where, maybe describe his leadership from what you encountered then. And also, I always kind of go back and forth with you on this. Now that you're doing what you're doing, the appreciation maybe in hindsight that you had for that, right? Because you're probably craving that with every player you bring into your organization. Right. Um, first of all, Ed's a really good dude. First and foremost, uh, just a really good teammate, you know, always laughing, always smiling, always in a good mood. And he's just another one of those guys like out on the field, like ultra competitor and a guy that was going to hold his teammates accountable and obviously give you praise when you need praise, but also speak up when he needed to speak up. And obviously like we know how great Ed Reed is, like his instincts and like his range and ball skills and his football IQ or were second to none. I mean, the guy was just so naturally gifted and such a good player. And, and on top of that, a really good dude. So that's the thing is football IQ. Was it off the charts? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, he was super smart, but but on top of that, the instincts, like he was so instinctual. Like he just had that feel back there, always in the right spot. Like so you either have that or you don't have that. You know, these safeties that you see nowadays, like the really good ones, that's what they have. They have really good feel, really good instincts, and they're just always in the right spot. Now, you also, if I have this right in your time there, there's some crazy dudes that came in through the linebacker room, I think, right? You had Nate Webster and the Weaver Twins? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had the <laughs> Weaver Twins, uh, Chris Campbell, God rest the soul. Like, we, we had a great group of guys. Like, we, it was such a good room, an eclectic group of guys, like different personalities and, like, came from different – backgrounds and i think it's what made it so such a cool room you know to be in you got a good nate webster story for us oh gosh like during games like i mean i can't i, I won't even say anything like on here but like he was one of the first of all he's like 
great teammate, great in the locker room, funny. But that dude's like another just like a dog, like ultra competitor, tough. He just wanted to get after guys. I mean, that dude, you knew every game that you lined up with him, we were going to go and we were going to, somebody was going to get hit hard. (laughs) Somebody or whether he was hitting somebody, like we made it a point that we were going to be the best linebacking core in in college football. I want to also do this because you've got to know this as well as anybody else, right? Like it doesn't always happen in the snap of a finger. No, absolutely not. I think that's a, that's a good point that you bring up. Um, Yeah. I mean, stuff's not just going to happen overnight. Like think about like when I first got back into Miami, like we went five and six, you know, and I think the next year we won maybe eight games and then we won nine games and then we won, 11 games and then the next year they won the national championship like it's a process like and we talk about that here with the bills like it's a process like you're not just gonna turn good overnight you know and obviously you gotta you know in college you gotta recruit the right players and uh, the right type of players and but yeah like you like you said to your point it's it's a process how good was michael vick the terrible part about it is I had to play against them in college and then we both got drafted to the same division. So I had to play against them there too. I mean, he's probably, he's one of the best players I ever played against. I mean, you talk about speed, like I consider myself a fast linebacker, like not too many people ran away from me. Like that guy ran away from me a couple of times to where like, I felt like I was like running out of my body like, <laughs> running as hard as I could. And like that dude, his speeds on another level, especially on that Atlanta turf. He was the real deal. All right. So take me through this. So 98, you know, you lose the Syracuse 99 Penn state and Virginia tech Uh, 97. You mentioned you guys win five games, but you're still building, right? You're still building. So take me into that off season from 99 to 2000. Obviously a lot of those players that we've talked about are all now kind of on the team, right? This thing is kind of moving in the right direction. What's, what's your mindset going into 2000? We obviously knew we were building something special, but like I said, like, it doesn't happen overnight. We were on a mission as players in that locker room. Like we were going to be great and we knew it was going to take time to be great, but we worked our ass off. I I haven't been around a team that worked that hard. I mean, our workouts like second to none. I mean, you talk about like 24 one tens that we would have to run for our test, but maybe Swayze adds five, you know, just because he wants to make you mentally strong. We just had such a, like our team, the the workers on that team and the competitors on that team, like I, I've never been around it. Obviously I've been to some good teams, like with the Seahawks, like, you know, where it's very similar, but for college kids and like everybody coming together for a common goal and actually working their ass off and like it all coming together, like, it just is a testament just to everybody. Dan, maybe you could uh, elaborate on that a little bit, right? Because we we all know how do you get good in college? You recruit, right? You recruit good players. But how underappreciated is what you just said, right? Oh, we can be talented. You could have good players. You could recruit a four-star. But can you elaborate a little bit more on or maybe even detail that, the competition, the work ethic? Because I think people hear the words, but maybe they don't know what the details are, right? Like, you could have a talented player, but if a talented player doesn't have that, whatever that inner drive, determination, competitive, fiery, whatever right. word you want to use, like you just said, like it, it's, it's kind of all for not. It's funny why you were saying like, you know, four star, five star. And like, to me, it's not even about recruiting those type of kids. Like 
to me, it's identifying people that fit your program and what you do and what and what you're going to be about. Whether that's a three star, that may be a two star. Like, you know, you look at myself. I was like a three star. I think like I wasn't like highly recruited, but obviously they saw something in me that you know other teams didn't. How do you find that? How do you know all those things? All those they're not intangible. I, I think they're tangible, yeah. right? I think they're skill sets. Yep. They're just not. They're not four, five, forty skill sets. But in your role now, how do you find that? How do you how do you go about trying to ensure yourself to the best of your ability? That's another Dan Morgan or another Ed Reed. Not ability. I'm right. talking about drive, work ethic, competition, pride, whatever word you want to put on it. Well, I think you know it starts with the film work. So to me, like you can tell if a guy loves playing out there. Like you can just you can see it. Like you can see it on tape. Like the guy's flying around every play. He's busting his ass. He's enthusiastic out there. So after that, after I see that, then, you know, there's different layers to the process, which is going and seeing that player live. Is, did I, am I seeing that live, what I saw on tape? And if that matches up, that's then that's great. And then obviously you're meeting face-to-face -face with the kid. You ask the questions, you know, you basically drill them down, just kind of see what they're about, work ethic-wise, just like different instances where they've been a leader, just kind of just kind of see what they're about. Like, it's just really just getting around the player and just getting a feel for, for who they are as a person. I mean, it's it's just a complete process. Do you think it's easier or harder to, to do separate the guys who love ball? I'm not talking about once you're in the locker room. I'm talking about as you're trying to evaluate a kid the ones who love it from the ones who don't, is that easy or difficult? You know, I don't think anything, you know, none of it's a perfect science, <laughs> but at the same time, like the more, the more competitors that you're around, uh, the more, you know, what it, what it's supposed to look like. And for me, like I can, I can watch the tape and I'm like, yeah, that's what a linebacker's supposed to look like. That's what a safety's supposed to look like. That's what a quarterback's supposed to look like. And you know, it's it's one of those things. Just the more you see it, and the more you're around it, the more you recognize it. So it makes it it makes it easier. So Manny Diaz has spoken a lot about the competition at Green Tree, right? That was sort of the the heartbeat of your program, and you've elaborate, you've talked about it and discussed it as well. Can you give me an example of something that would be tangible to a fan that would understand more what that means, other than just hey, they they were hard workers? Because I think everyone here, I don't mean this. The, you know, critically, I think people hear yeah. that and they just kind of think, oh, well, everyone's a hard worker, but that's not the case. You know, I think we talk about competitors. It's not just on the field. It's off the field. It's it's in the classroom. You know, it's with every little thing that you do. Like, it's not just a football competitor. It's being a competitor at life. I think that's the biggest thing is like how you do, you know, one thing is how you do everything. So even the little things like you need to be competing at and you need to strive to be the best at. I think that that's how you recognize true competitors is they're not just doing it, doing the stuff that's easy. You know, it's easy to do those things, but you want to find the guys that are doing the little things and they're competing at life. They're competing in the classroom. They're competing out at the practice field. And, you know, I mean, teammates know teammates too. People know who's real and who's fake, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. So I didn't realize that you're that you was only like seven years in the league. Was it hard knowing when it was over? Def it was definitely hard to let it go. You know, I signed with the Saints and then I, w I went through an offseason with them. I actually went to like OTAs and minicamp and then I decided to retire. And then they actually called me back the next season and they said, would you be interested in playing? Like, how's your body feeling? I'm like, yeah, like I'd be interested. And then I went down there and my body wasn't feeling good again. 
And I'm like, all right, I'm done. Like, that's it. So I think it took a little bit for me to, to realize that I was done, but I think once I knew, I knew. But it's it's just so awesome with my job now, just being able to be around the game and the guys. And like, so, you know, it's not like I really ever lost that. Of the injuries, which one hurt the most? Which was the one you were like, oof, this is a bad, this this doesn't my, feel good? Yeah, my shoulder, I dislocated it twice. And, you know, just that never felt good. Like, those were the worst. And that still bothers me to this day. Yeah, so I'd definitely say the shoulder. And when you say your body didn't feel good, for a guy who was known for his toughness, how do you know when it's not right? There was way too much maintenance that I was having to do on my body, like the normal players weren't having to do. Like I was just hoping not to pull a muscle in, <laughs> in practice the next day. I mean, I was literally getting like that to where I'm like, gosh, like my groin feels tight today. Like every day it just kind of became like a like a worry for me. You know, mentally, it just, it was wearing on me. Yeah, so that doesn't feel good. No, it's just, like I said, it's mentally, it just, it wears you out. You know, and after a while, you just got to be like, all right, like, I got to let this go because it's not making me happy in my life. So you get back into football, no more couch potato, right? Got to get up off your butt and do something. So you start off as an intern. So can you tell me the most intern thing you did with Seattle? It's funny. I, I remember, I, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I remember it was somebody that knew me. You know, I drove them, drove them to the airport, drove them to the doctor's office. Like I did intern things. So I don't mind doing that. Like I'm. I'm not an ego person and I had no problem doing whatever I needed to do. So as you work your way up in Seattle, were you always on the pro side? Yeah, I was on the, I was on the pro side. I was always in the office. Started out as just like a pro scout on the lowest level, making nothing. And then just kind of worked my way up to eventually pro director for my last couple of years that I was in Seattle. And on that side, you're looking strictly at pro personnel, right? In terms of how you would upgrade the roster with Seattle if that opportunity comes. Yep. Looking at, you know, daily waiver transactions, like anybody that could help us that we felt could, you know, either help us on our active roster or help us on the practice squad. And then I also did, you know, the advanced scouting. So whatever opponent we were playing, then, you know, the next week I would fly out, go see them play, look at their signals and just get all the information I could and then evaluate all their players and just, you know, where they were strong, where they were weak. There, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. So you move over to Buffalo and you're the director of player personnel. I think we talked, you're number three on the food chain. Now you're doing both, right? You're doing college and pro. So you are on the road a lot more now, I would imagine, correct? Yeah, not not home a lot. Uh, <laughs> definitely on the road all the time. You know, basically what I would do is I would leave on, say, a Tuesday and I would hit different schools during the week. So maybe three or four different schools. And then I'd fly to where whatever game, I'd always pick a game on Saturday that I wanted to see. So say I wanted to go see North Carolina, NC State, I would go and I'd stay in Raleigh on Friday and I'd work from there, I'd write all my reports and stuff like that, enter them into the system and then go to the game. And obviously on Saturday, you know, just watch the guys that I watched during the week and just kind of see if it matched up with what I saw on tape and just look for little things that you don't see on tape too. And then um, I'd always meet the team wherever we were playing on Sunday. So literally I'd be gone Tuesday to Sunday. So if we played away on Sunday, I'd meet them wherever and I'd fly home with the team on Sunday night. So basically I was gone for my family every week from, you know, say September to November, Tuesday to Sunday. It's one of those jobs that if you don't love what you do, 
it'll be tough to sustain. When do you grind the film? When does that come into play? So usually you go to like a school like in the morning. So, you know, if I was going to Ohio State, I'd get there early in the morning, meet with the coaches. You could watch tape there at the school. You know, eventually you go out, see the guys practice, you leave, you know, you come back, go to your hotel room and right to work. So, I mean, it's an all day job. There's always work to be done. There's always something to do. I'll, I'll be doing stuff today, you know, with work. So what are you yeah. doing in the off season? In the off season, uh, like January leading up to the draft. I know it's all prep for the draft. So I guess you're on the watching film and you're on the road too, right? Private, you know, workouts, yeah. all that stuff. Pre-COVID, you know, you got the East-West game. You got yeah, the right. Bowl. You got, you know, the combine. You got pro days. You got like all these things. Like I said, there's always something to be done. And basically, like, the slow time, per se, for scouts is anywhere from, like, May through July to where you're not as busy and not up against the wall with deadlines. I've read that you will watch film from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Is that true? Oh, 100% true. The eyes ever get heavy? Not really. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, you take you take little breaks here and there. You're, you know, you're on phone calls. But, yeah, I mean, I, I'll get to the office early in the morning and... I'm watching tape in the morning and I might go out to practice and watch our team practice and I'll come back and get right on film again. How long till you know? How much film you got to watch till you know? I usually watch three games on a player. There's so many tools nowadays that you can pull up. You know, if you're watching a DB, you can pull up all the times he was targeted. Uh, if you're watching a safety, you can do the same. So there's a lot of things where you can take deeper dives into as well. So. Like I said, it's it's a full process. Without giving away, I don't want you to give away the bill bills, the uh, trademarks or copyright, uh, intellectual property here. But what is what do you value? First and foremost, smart. You know, smart. Basically, like our motto is smart, tough, dependable players. Obviously, you got to be smart. And like I said, smart's not just on the field. You know, it's off the field. You know, you're tough. You got to have tough players, and then dependable players on the field. They're going to be dependable. They're going to be available all the time and you know they're going to be dependable on and off the field so you know it all it all comes together on and off the field it's not just the on the field stuff can the film trick you you know i think i think it can if you let it the more players you watch and the more the bigger your library gets the more clear that players look and you know you feel more confident in your evaluation you said smart tough dependable i don't that that to me that explains to Quan johnson same thing. He's just, he's smart. Dude's tough. He's, he's one of our best special teams players now. And if, you know, if you need to put him at safety, he's going to play great there too. I guarantee you, Manny Diaz, Efren Bonda, whoever you spoke to about Jaquan Johnson, I bet you there wasn't a bad thing they said about him. No, absolutely not, man. I was definitely pounding the, the table for him. We didn't have many Miami guys at the time, so I needed to get a few Miami guys up here. So we got Feliciano here too. So we got two, uh, Two of the tougher canes, I'd say, in the yeah. past. You have a third one who, who I don't think people think of Ken Dorsey as tough, but because he, he doesn't look right, he's the California skinny Ken, but right. but he could be a competitive oh, dude, right? Yeah. yeah, don't let him deceive you now. He's borderline crazy sometimes. Like you gotta you gotta watch that dude. He's the ultra competitor, man. Like he'll uh on game day, you'll see a different side of him if if somebody pisses him off and or play doesn't go like he thinks it should like what kind of impacts he had on josh allen oh huge impact huge impact him and um you know brian dayball our offensive coordinator they they've done an unreal job with josh and obviously josh had to put the work in and 
want to improve and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, they've done a phenomenal job with him. This phrase has come up everywhere. And then it's going to segue into the next question. They call it love of ball, right? I love ball. He loves ball. Why do you love it so much? I think, first of all, like it's all I've ever known. It's part of who I am. I started playing football when I was six years old. Like I still want to be in it after I get done playing. Like if, if you want to be around the game that much, like you got to love it. It's not an easy job, whether playing or even doing what I'm doing now. Like if you don't love it and you're not committed to it, then you're not, first of all, you're not going to be very good at it and you're not going to last long. So I just, I love being around the game, just everything about it, the competition, the fans, the atmosphere, like, there's nothing better. There's not a better game. All right. So you just mentioned atmosphere. Thank you for helping me on this. So can you take me back to the atmosphere in October of 2000, UM and FSU? First of all, I missed the Orange Bowl. But yeah, that day at Florida State, that atmosphere was electric. When I was there, we lost to them my freshman year, sophomore, and junior. And they blew us out a couple times, too. Like, it was really never games. So we were on a mission that day. And I think the crowd even, like, I think that felt like the first time that we could legitimately beat them. I think in the locker room, like there was no denying us that day and the fan support that day, like it was unreal. Like that crowd was electric. That was one of the best atmospheres that I've been around. It really kind of gives you chills just like even thinking about it. So the interception, you said you used to walk through plays with Shiano at six in the morning. You knew it. So did you know that was coming? Not really. I just felt it. I think it just goes back to one of those, you know, what, I, what we talked about earlier. It's just like the instincts. I just felt it, just jumped up, intercepted it. By the way, like I was absolutely exhausted. Otherwise, I think I may have been able to take that to the house. It. Yeah. I, was finished, but I think I, you only went like 20, 30 yards. It wasn't very yeah, impressive. I was looking for somebody to tackle me. <laughs> I'm telling you, I had nothing. I had literally had nothing. Like, you know, they walked me to the sideline. I was in a full body cramp in the locker room. I don't know how many bags of IV I took that day, but I actually missed part of the beginning of the third quarter because I was so dehydrated and cramping up in the locker room. First of all, it was a 12 noon game. It was ridiculously yep. hot and you guys are competing like warriors. Absolutely. The hottest game I ever played in and just most strenuous, just on your body, like just from a competitor standpoint and physicality standpoint. And then on top of that, you're playing in 96 degree with whatever the humidity was that day. It was a rough day, but at least we got the W. That's all that matters. <laughs> at the end of the day, no matter what happened that year, you can always tell them we got you. Exactly. Last two things. Your love of ball and just, you know, with the passion, the drive, et cetera, to do it. Is the fun part about doing what you do now the payoff of being right? Like you put in all the work on guys and you draft a guy and you hit it. And if you do it multiple mm -hmm. times, then it builds a team. And then the team, it, it, there's the payoff there. of All of those hours of evaluation. The competitiveness, just because I'm not playing, it still comes out in scouting. Like, there's 32 teams in the NFL. They have scouts that do exactly what I do. You know, how are you going to set yourself apart, you know, in terms of finding those players and brings the competition out of you? That's one of those things that's fun, just seeing, you know, those guys that you draft, that you played, you know, a little part in of drafting obviously winning the games like if you don't win then none of it matters right you know no matter how you play so just the winning and the, the competition and that is so much fun you said right at the very beginning of this you were nervous before the playoff game you're not playing i think i get more nervous now you know because i don't have control of what goes on on the field 
you know, I'm up there. I'm nervous before every game. Like, uh, I'm more nervous than when I played, for sure. Last thing, and I'm going to ask this question to you, hopefully, I don't know what the answer is going to be, as a framework of where the Miami Hurricane program is and where they're trying to get to. And the reason why I'm asking it to you is you see a ton of college football players, right? right. And there's, it seems to be year after year frustration with Miami, you know, fall short, too talented, co- whatever it is, right? Every, I mean, it doesn't always mean it's right, and it's the right. fan talk, et cetera. But maybe you could just speak to what you see when you go out and evaluate talent, not as a negative on Miami, right? right. But almost like where they're trying to get to since you are evaluating and scouting those players at that level for your career? You know, I think first and foremost, whether at the pro level or the college level, like I feel like if you don't have a quarterback and the right system, then to me, you don't have a chance. The quarterback's the most important position in football. Like if you don't have somebody that can take command at that position that you're committed to and is developing, that's why I'm glad our quarterback's coming back next year, the King. I know he got hurt, you know, but I'm excited that he's coming back. He'll be in that system. Uh, hopefully we're running the same system for two years. And I think you just need to, you know, to get playmakers around him. Obviously, you got to protect them. But first and foremost, I think that that's the, the biggest thing is you got to get the quarterback. Once you get the quarterback, then you can, you know, get those pieces and build around him. And then obviously being a defensive guy, like, you got to find those instinctive, smart, physical players, you know, and I feel like we do have some of them on our defense and we just need to, you know, continue finding those type of guys and going out and, you know, turning over every stone, you know, every possibility of any player, like regardless of what star they are, just find good football players that love the game. So we're done. I appreciate you, buddy. And again, I just want to congratulate you, man. In terms of your role and what you do, that win against Indy is huge. And then just getting into the College Football Hall of Fame, just getting ready for this. Uh, I know you won't brag, but I mean, your, your career at Miami was otherworldly. And I can't think of anything really more deserving for you personally than, than getting in there, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. Man, I really appreciate it. And uh, always good talking to you. And hopefully, uh, Canes get back on the map, man, and we're having those big games that we were talking about. Buddy, thanks again, and of course, uh, congratulations. I guess you get a bunch of people who are following following the Bills. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. Always good talking to you.